Okay, great. Well, it's interesting when we look at how the lessons on the body and lessons on healing and health of the body can be paralleled to the Torah Parshas. And so we've been studying about the Exodus from Egypt, yeah? And so last week we talked about eating and how this can be a, a type of slavery, gluttony. And tonight what we're going to be talking about is the liver, the gallbladder, and the spleen. We're going to be talking about the organs that filter impurities from the body. The liver and the gallbladder are integral parts of the digestive system, and the spleen plays an important part in the circulatory and lymphatic systems. Before explaining their spiritual aspects, it is important to understand their functions within the body. The liver is located mostly on the right side of the abdominal cavity. It is the largest organ in the body and has two important roles producing and regulating chemicals for the body's needs and neutralizing poisons and waste products. After food has been partially digested, it enters the intestinal tract. From there, the nutrients are transformed through the walls of the intestines into the bloodstream. The blood, which has absorbed the nutrients, passes through the liver and its filtering system before returning to the heart and lungs. It is interesting to note that the liver purifies the blood before it is sent to the heart. In this sense, the liver acts as a servant of the heart. To accommodate the production of new chemicals, the liver takes the raw nutrients and purifies them to make them compatible with the body. It manufactures proteins and processes carbohydrates, sugars and starches by converting them into glucose to supply energy for the body. It also stores some of the sugar for future use. The liver also produces fats and waste products of the blood. Thus all the nutrients absorbed by the liver are refined and then returned to the body, whether the, to the blood or the tissues or in the form of energy. The enzymes of the liver also cleanse the blood of bacteria and neutralize poisons that have entered the body. As the liver interacts mainly with the blood system, its fluid color is represented as red. The gallbladder is a small pear-shaped sac adjacent to the liver. It serves as a storage container for bile, which is a thick, bitter, yellowish-green fluid produced by the liver. Bile necessary for digestion of fats is discharged into the small intestine when the presence of food is indicated. The bile neutralizes acidity and breaks down fats. After the gallbladder has done its job, most of the minerals in the bile return to the liver via the bloodstream and are then reused by the body. This is alluded to in our sages statement in Berchot this is the tractate of the Talmud, 61b. The liver becomes angry. The gallbladder emits fluids to pacify that anger. That is, the liver becomes angry when we eat. 
courts forced to work hard to purify the system. The gallbladder then emits fluids to pacify that anger, for when the bile returns to the liver, the liver has basically completed its work. The gallbladder also transfers worn out blood cells to the lymphatic system for their removal from the body. The spleen is considered by some medical opinions to be part of the lymphatic system, while others see it as an organ of the circulatory and immune systems, for it offers protection against foreign and useless matter within the body and against infection. It is located to the left of the stomach, between the stomach and the diaphragm. The lymphatic vessels contain the surplus fluid called lymph from the body's tissues. The lymph nodes filter and destroy bacteria and other foreign particles. The color of the lymph, which, uh, which produce antibodies to fight harmful substances in the body, is milky white. Various other organs, which also filter out bacteria from the body, such as the spleen, the tonsils, contain lymphoid tissue similar to the tissue found in the lymphatic system. The main function of the spleen is to filter the blood system. It removes old, worn out, and abnormal red and white blood cells and also removes irregular particles and bacteria from the blood. Lymphocytes contained in the spleen also manufacture antibodies to weaken or kill bacteria, viruses, and other substances that cause infection. The Talmud teaches that the blood which has become tainted is black in color, and this is found in Tractate Nita 19a. Hence the spleen is said to be associated with the black fluids of the body. Now these three organs are all active participants in the purification process of the body and can be relied on to do an excellent job. Yet they are under continual attack from impurities that require filtering. In this sense, these organs are man's main connection with his physicality, for they deal exclusively with his material input, food, and its purification. Oriental medicine ascribes individual characteristics to each organ, which influences the body accordingly. An example is the liver, is kaved in Hebrew. The nature of the liver is to invade the domain of other organs due to its multifaceted processing abilities. The liver's effect is felt throughout all the body. If allowed to do so, it will cause serious problems. If, on the other hand, the liver serves the other organs, such as the heart and kidneys, then all goes well. This is reflected in the verse in Exodus 8.28. Paro hardened his heart. The Hebrew word for hardened is kaved, which is similar to, he to liver. That is to say, Paro livered his heart, allowing his liver, his gross materialism, to master him. His own self-imposed subservience to his liver's personality caused his ultimate downfall. Instead, his heart and kidneys should have reigned. 
Now the heart, of course, we always associate with compassion and love, and the kidneys are associated with conscience. And so instead of having his being influenced by these organs that were compassion and love and conscience, he is being influenced by his liver. And this is hinted at in the verse that says that he kaved, his heart was kaved, which is also a word for heavy. And so we're, we're getting a hint here about what happened with Paro, that he is being ruled by the characteristic of the liver, which is anger. Had he listened to his heart and to good advice, which is the kidneys, he would not have brought destruction upon himself and on his country. So this is one way that we can look at this. We saw last night when we were doing Parshat Bo about how Hara was the Nahash, and this is one aspect of it. But now we're looking at Paro from a human point of view, and we're seeing it from a human standpoint of how he's being ruled in his physicality through the organs, and there's a parallel here that we can see in healing. Now at the end of the book of Genesis and the beginning of the book of Exodus, this describes the descent of the family of Yaakov, the children of Israel, into the land of Egypt. Eventually, as God foretold to Abraham, they found themselves enslaved to Paro and his ministers. In the Passover Haggadah we say, Blessed is the one who kept his promise to Israel. Blessed is he, the blessed one who calculated the end of the Egyptian exile in order to fulfill what he had promised to Abraham in the covenant between the halves. It is written in Genesis, Know with a certainty that your descendants will be strangers in a land not theirs. For four hundred years, the people of that land will enslave them and treat them cruelly. But I will judge that nation whom they have served, and afterwards they will depart with great wealth. The first part of this prophecy came true later when the Egyptians embittered the Jews' lives with hard labor, with mortar and bricks, and all kinds of work in the field. All the work that they forced them to do was back-breaking work. When speaking of this exile, Zohar states that man becomes weakened both physically and spiritually by suffering that he endures. But then applies the verse quoted above to the man's struggle. Embittered their lives. This alludes to the gallbladder which stores the yellowish-green bitter fluids and threatens the body with fever and illness. In Hebrew, the gallbladder is called mara, from mar meaning bitter. Hard labor with homer, mortar, and bricks. And levanim, from levana, white, corresponds to the white fluids lymphocytes which have been afflicted by excessive eating in the field alludes to the liver, the red fluids, as Aesop is known as a dome. Red was the man of the field. And all the work, see this is from this verse, it's talking about how the people were being afflicted with hard labor, their lives were embittered, hard labor in the field and the back breaking work. Because a person can have hard work and it not be embittered, it can be not, not backbreaking. 
and to work hard and it can be a good thing. But the slavery was hard, it was backbreaking, and it was an affliction. So this backbreaking work alludes to the spleen, the black fluids. It's clear from the Zohar that a person can become subject to illness and suffering as a result of strenuous labor on the part of his digestive system. And the Rambam, who is Maimonides, he lived from 1135 to 1204, is well known for his medical proficiency. He was a doctor, he was the physician of the, of the Sultan. Most illnesses are due to excessive eating. Overeating stimulates excessive activity by the body fluids, which can overtax the body's organs and can thus lead to serious illness. Now we're going to explore the spiritual aspects of these organs and see how they closely mirror the principles in the spiritual realm. Rebbe Nachman taught, the liver is called kaved, which translates to heavy, just like I was saying, or weighty. This is because the liver purifies the blood that is weighted with unnecessary substances. You'll have these different metals, and especially now in our day, we'll have toxins and, and heavy metals is a real problem. People have to detox, and this causes the liver to have to work extra hard, and it can cause liver damage. The liver's task, as well as that of the other filtering systems of the body, is a waiting one. If it's provided with the proper nourishment, the liver functions as the body's primary filter to purify the system. If not, it processes but returns the impurities into the blood. These non-essential products begin to accumulate in the body and eventually act counter to the body's well-being. This system has repercussions in the spiritual realm. For the food the body digests can either nourish and purify the system or it can be detrimental to the functioning of the body. Depending on the matter that it is ingested and the nature of the food. Thus it can either add strength to a person and assist him in his spiritual quest or debilitate him and inhibit his ability to rise spiritually. Our discussion of the liver, bear in mind that the nephesh, the part of the soul that interfaces with the body, resides in the blood. Now remember, I don't know if you remember this, but we were talking about um, some while ago, about the various levels of the soul. And the nephesh is the level of the soul that is the first level. And whenever Hashem gave the command that we not eat the blood of an animal, which is one one big law of B'nai Noach, it's because the nephesh, the soul, is in the blood. And so the blood is connected to the liver. It involves, the liver involves purification of the blood. The word nephesh is associated with desire. As in the verse, <clears throat> if it is your desire, thus the bloodstream, which is in Genesis, thus the bloodstream carries our basic desires and lusts. The degree to which we filter our bloodstream 
That is how we develop our, our spirituality and master our baser instincts will determine the path of our ascent up the spiritual ladder. I mean, even think about sometimes we have these sayings like somebody is hot-blooded. It talks about their desire, their passion, that they, don't, they can't really get it under control. The Talmud teaches in Tractate Kulin, the liver is full of blood. As we have seen, the liver is the major stopover for all the blood, which is the human lifeline flowing through the body. Thus, as the organ which purifies our lifeline, the importance of the liver to the body cannot be overestimated. Situated at the crossroads of the blood system, the liver can serve either as an effective purifier of the fluted blood that surges through our systems, or it can pollute the blood further. As noted, the bloodstream is a major element in our spiritual makeup. If someone desires nafash, a materialistic life, his blood will reflect his choice. The liver will absorb the nutrients of lust and will process gluttony back into his system. If he desires spirituality, his liver will process spiritual nutrients and will discharge pure blood into his system. Blood, which is red, symbolizes heat, anger, and bloodshed. Corresponds with Asaph, who was red. Asaph thus represents both the forces of evil and the liver, a focal point of the body's activity, with the blood's activity within the body. Anger and accusations are his power, so that one who falls victim to these attributes places himself under the influence and control of Asa. But blood and red should not be seen only as entities that are contrary to spiritual existence. In the Kabbalah, Blood represents the gavura, judgments or strengths, and is associated with the attribute of fear. When a person desires godliness, his blood, or his strength, will be channeled to a in a corresponding degree to the fear of God to serve him properly. Such a person comes under the dominion of God alone and is free of the influence of Esau. So you can see this, the attributes of the sphero, that you have a positive application and a negative application. And the same is true here when we talk about the blood, when we talk about the liver, we're talking about how it can have a positive attribute or negative. And it, it's the same organ, but we can see it in a positive or a negative way depending on how we are behaving in our lives the choices that we make. Rebbe Nachman taught, each Jewish soul is rooted in one of the 70 souls of the children of Israel who first descended into Egypt. These 70 souls are rooted in the 70 facets of Torah. When someone fulfills the Torah, he draws spirituality, God, towards himself. If, however, he distanced himself from Torah, it is as if he has involved himself in idol worship. He draws the forces of the other side, the Sitra Achra, which are manifest through the 70 nations, towards himself. 
These forces are then actualized in the 70 aspects of one's character. The children of Israel are rooted in the Torah, which has 70 facets. Thoughts and teachings which guide a person on the spiritual path and transmute his or her characteristics. These evil characteristics are called the 70 aspects of one's character and refer to the characteristics embodied in the 70 nations. Now you have to realize that when we're talking about this, we're talking about the negative side of it. And the 70 nations that have, the people of the 70 nations have the choice to choose the 70 facets of Torah rather than these 70 characteristics of nations. One who distances himself from the spiritual light of Torah allows the negative characteristics of the nations to take root in himself and manifest themselves in wicked or immoral behavior. In fact, for a Jewish person, when he distances himself from the nations, according to the Maharal, the Maharal of Prague, he says he will not become as bad as the evil people of the nation. He will become worse. He will sink even lower than the nation's animals. That's really something for us to... I mean, you think about it, and you can look at some Jewish people who choose to abandon the Torah, how evil they can be. Furthermore, just as the 70 souls of Israel are rooted in Yaakov, the 70 nations are rooted in Ishmael and Esau. The liver, as the organ that represents gross materialism, has a total of 70 major blood vessels, which correspond to the negative influences of the 70 nations. The liver itself corresponds to Asab, while its lobes correspond to Ishmael, according to the Zohar. Thus a person can choose Torah and connect himself to the source of Yaakov, or he can seek materialism and connect himself to the evil sources of Asab and Ishmael. In the same way, a person can choose that he is going to be directed by his soul, and he can choose godly things for himself, or he can choose that he is going to be um, guided by his physicality, and he's going to be directed by his physical impulses. It's the same type of thinking. Throughout the holy writings, it would be impossible to find an organ so disparaged as the liver. The Zohar compares the liver to Asaph, the red one, who until he purifies himself and returns to God, embodies the power of evil itself. The liver also corresponds to idolatry, which is akin to haughtiness and arrogance, and corresponds to the fire of Gehenna, anger and rage. Of the four elements, fire is hot and dry, and it's the lightest in its physical makeup. The properties of heat cause it to rise, in the personality, the element of fire is thus the source of pride, and one who thinks of himself as being above others. A byproduct of fire, of pride, is anger. Because of haughtiness, a person is quick to anger when his desires are not satisfied as he wishes. A humble person is more capable of exercising restraint. Therefore, haughtiness and anger stand together as two of man's worst characteristics. They also lead to irritability and to the desire for power and honor.
Thus, arrogance and anger lead to hatred for those whose status is higher than one's own. Anger, pride, irritability, and hatred need no commentary. Everyone acknowledges that these traits are despicable. Nevertheless, they are disproportionately prevalent throughout society. It is thus appropriate at this point to cite some of Rabbi Nachman's teachings on the gravity of these characteristics and on how to control and influence the liver and gallbladder in a positive manner to overcome these negative effects. And he said, Pride brings poverty. Eating and drinking produce haughtiness. Haughtiness is tantamount to idolatry through a close association with a tzaddik. One can overcome haughtiness. Many individuals pose as humble people for they realize that arrogance is a despicable trait. Therefore they put on airs as if they were modest and unwilling to accept honor though they actually crave respect from others and chase after honor. This false humility, which is in fact arrogance, is idolatry. This chasing after honor is the reason the exile has not ended. Arrogance and sexual immorality are linked. Haughtiness leads to homosexuality and anger. Intelligence, power, and material possessions are the three main factors over which one becomes haughty. A haughty man is a deformed person. Arrogance begets troubles. When things seem to go counter to one's will, it is a sign of arrogance. The Torah, spirituality, can find place only within a humble person. Faith engenders humility. Humility leads to repentance. Experiencing Shabbat and celebrating festivals with joy cultivates humility. True humility does not mean to be slovenly or act as if one is worthless. One should be aware of one's full worth, yet still act in a humble manner. Humility eliminates dispute and suffering and brings one's life. The indescribable bliss of the eternal life of the world to come can be experienced only to the extent that one has attained humility in this world. Anger is rooted in the liver, which is full of blood. This corresponds to Asaph, who was born with a ruddy complexion. Since Asaph represents anger, his power extends over those who allow themselves to become enraged. When a person gives in to anger, it provokes the great accuser, Esau, the evil one. The accusations of Esau are the obstacles, hindrances, and enemies that one faces during one's lifetime. They literally take charge of the furious man. His rage puts his wisdom to flight, and the image of God disappears from his face. Anger causes one to tear his soul apart. Anger causes one to have foolish children and shortens one's life. Anger brings disgrace. The anger person humiliates himself. Anger causes a person to lose his money. Wealth is called a protective wall, choma in Hebrew. When one becomes angry, he turns the choma into haima, 
which is anger, and so loses his wealth. Anger leads to depression. Anger causes a person to lose his wisdom and foresight. Patience and restraining one's anger brings one wealth. Break the force of anger with love by restraining yourself and by acting with kindness. Then you can understand the true goals to which you should aspire. Anger and unkindness arise when people's understanding is limited. The deeper their understanding, the more their anger disappears, and kindness, love, and peace spread. Torah study gives one the ability to attain deeper understanding. The sanctity of the land of Israel is beneficial to help a person break his anger. By breaking and overcoming your anger, you draw the spirit of Mashiach into the world. You also become worthy of rich blessings and of gaining people's respect and admiration. When you overcome your anger, you will succeed in reaching your goals. And sometimes people will become angry when they feel hopeless, when they feel like there's no no um, solution to the problem. It makes them enraged. It makes them angry. And so this is what is saying about if we can, it, it weakens our faith. We have to strengthen our faith, and that way you, you don't feel that hopelessness. Unwarranted hatred causes a person to eat non-kosher food. This feeds the liver, the source of anger and hatred, causing further hatred. Uh, we can say not only non-kosher food, but unhealthy food. When we're angry, when we're upset, what do we want to do? We want to get the ice cream. We want to get cake, cookies. We want to go binging because it makes us feel better. And so unwarranted hatred or anger within ourselves when we feel hopeless, we do that. And in fact, there's even something else. I mean, even when we talk about um, the problem of anorexia, when a person, many times when these, it's mostly girls, but sometimes it's not, it's, uh, it can be a man. It's not necessarily just women. But most of the time in our society, it has been girls who have a problem with anorexia. And what happens is they feel hopeless. And they feel out of, they don't have control of their lives. And so they have this one area where they want to control, and their eating habits become out of balance. So we could say this unwarranted anger or hatred towards themselves, towards what's happening to them that they feel they can't control, then we cause them to not eat or to overeat, to binge, and then purge. You know, all of these eating disorders come from this feeling of, of anger or hatred or insecurity with themselves. Turmoil is a sign of hatred. Dialogue comes with peace. Strife causes open relationships to be curtailed. Because when um, there's strife, of course, walls go up. People don't trust each other. A person's lust for food causes him to favor one of his children over the others. Eating on Shabbat brings love and peace. Love and kindness are synonymous. 
Love leads to encouragement, and love brings joy. I mean, think about it when you, if you can love somebody, if you can stimulate love in yourself for a person, then you're able to encourage that person. When Rebbe Nachman taught, when a person eats, the liver is nourished first. It then transfers nutrients into the body, which eventually reach the brain. When one fasts, the liver is bypassed, for the brain must draw on nutrients already present in the body, and the liver is left without fresh nutrients. Thus, through fasting, the liver is made subordinate to the brain. And so this is the reason that many times we're encouraged to fast when we're having a problem with our anger, we're having problems with our behavior, that fasting helps to subjugate the body to the brain, to the soul. There are two types of peace. One is a ceasefire, and the other is peaceful dialogue. Fasting represents a ceasefire, the temporary subduing of one's enemy, of the powers of Asaph found in the liver. It's not permanent peace, of course, because you can't fast forever. Conversely, Shabbat, when we're required to eat, stands for a more permanent peace. A peaceful dialogue between conflicting forces, wherein one can eat without being subjected to Asaph's influence. On Shabbat, the mind reigns supreme. And we kind of have these little jokes saying, on Shabbat, calories don't count. On Shabbat, you know, we say all of these things. And in a way, it, it is, there is kind of a truth to it. Although, I mean, let's not be crazy here, of course. But there is somewhat of a truth to it because if we're observing Shabbat properly, and, I'm, and for Vinay Noach, I'm not saying observing like a Jew does, but honoring Shabbat properly, then our focus is going to be on spiritual things. We're going to be focusing on the Parsha. We're going to be focusing on the prayers, on the blessings. And so we're not focusing so much on satisfying our physical desires for this food. So our whole eating habit changes, it shifts. The focus shifts on Shabbat. The spirit of Shabbat can elevate a person's spiritual perspective. Through the very physical act of eating, one can ascend above the physical which, of which one takes part. This is because Shabbat is like Shabbat, the month that we're in right now. Sitting, Shevet. Sitting calmly and peacefully is also Shabbat, but Shevet is what it's supposed to be. Um, the word for sitting. Eating, which can lead to calmness such as when one eats leisurely Shabbat meal with one's family, tends to do one's enemies and bring peace. Now most people will or should admit that their suffering is brought about by their own actions. If a person is not careful with his health, he will bring illness on himself. If he acts irresponsibly with money, he will bring financial ruin upon himself. Family strife is usually the result of a minor slip of the tongue. And the list goes on and on. Rebbe Nachman once said, If you're not willing to suffer a little, you will suffer a lot. It is indeed painful to realize 
and come to terms with one's errors, but this is a first step toward rectifying them. By ignoring one's mistakes, not only is the pain not avoided, but one inevitably ends up making more of the same, causing even greater suffering. A little bitterness, Rabbi Nachman taught, the soul always seeks to perform the will of its maker. However, when it sees that the body houses it does not serve God, it seeks to leave that body and return to his maker. This is what death is, bringing illness to the body. Medicines can lead a person back to health. Illness comes about because a person has become accustomed to indulging his lusts. When he's sick, he loses his appetite for food in general and is forced to swallow all kinds of medications and bitter pills in order to get better. In this way, quite unintentionally to be sure, he shows that he is perfectly capable of controlling his desire for the sake of a purpose he understands. As a result, his soul returns to him in the hope that he will accept the bitterness necessary to return to a spiritual path as well. The bile stored in the gallbladder is extremely bitter. Yet this very bitterness is one of the most significant sweeteners found in the body. Produced in the liver, bile neutralizes acidity and breaks down fat. After performing its tasks, some of its fluid returns to its source, pacifying and cooling down the liver from its intense work of cleansing the blood. This is alluded to in the statements of our sages. The liver becomes angry. The gallbladder emits fluids to pacify that anger. Thus, from the very stuff of which our anger is made, the pacifier is created to placate the anger. Likewise, from within our suffering, our acknowledgement of our error brings about rectification. And about peace, Rabbi Nachman taught, peace is the universal healer. As it is written in Isaiah 57:19, peace to the one who is far and peace to the one who is near, says God, and I will heal him. When a person is ill, it's usually because his body systems are not functioning in harmony. His four humors or elements are somehow in con conflict. He requires medicines which will restore balance and allow healing to take place. Interestingly, medicines are generally very bitter. Yet, people are willing to endure a little bitterness in order to be healed in order to attain inner peace. The same is true of spiritual healing. A person might have to endure a certain amount of suffering, and it might be bitter indeed, but then he realizes that this suffering stems from his own spiritual inadequacies. He himself is a source of his own bitterness. Recognizing his faults, he is led to improve himself. The bitterness itself thus turns into healing power bringing him ever closer to spiritual peace. So the slavery in Egypt was backbreaking and it was bitter. And this bitterness was bringing the people of Israel together as a nation. And we see later I mean, in the next Parsha, we're reading this coming Shabbat, that Hashem says, I am the Lord who heals you. 
that the bitterness of Egypt actually was something that was necessary in bringing the people of Israel to a completion, to being a whole people. The functions of the spleen include maintaining blood volume, production of some types of blood cells, and the recovery of material from worn out blood cells, filtering impurities from the blood. As such, its energy is focused on the impurities found in the body, and it wages a constant battle to weed out excesses from the system. The more excesses there are in the body, the harder the spleen must work. The spleen has traditionally been associated with melancholy. The connection is clear. The spleen represents black bile, and melancholy, depression, is attributed to an excess of black bile. Thus, the spleen, working on a steady basis with a superfluous manner, has a very depressing job indeed. And of depression, the seed of depression, Rabbi Nachman taught, melancholy is associated with the spleen. The spleen can filter only a limited, um, quanti limited quantity of blood at a given time, and this activity is very beneficial for one's health. However, when an unreasonable amount of excesses exists within one's system, the spleen cannot filter them properly. These excesses induce sadness and depression, which themselves pollute the blood further, leading to illness. For instance, if a person eats too much sugar, too many fats, it can cause, you know how you have that sugar low, you'll have a sugar high and then it drops because the body can't process it. The spleen called tachol in Hebrew is considered cold and dry as the element of earth. Kol in Hebrew means sand, the lowest and densest of the four elements. As the lowest and heaviness, heaviest of the four elements, earth corresponds to depression. The sadder one is, the more one's personality is dominated by the inner inertia, which is rooted in the element of earth. This leads to laziness and indifference, which brings with it greater depression and lethargy. The polluted blood which the spleen purifies is likewise sluggish in nature. Rabbi Nachman taught that the main bite of the serpent is sadness and sluggishness. This is because the serpent was cursed with dust shall be the serpent's food. The element of dust represents sluggishness and sadness, both which stem from the element of earth. For this reason, Rabbi Nachman cautioned against spiritual excesses, stringencies in one's search for spirituality. The verse states in Leviticus 18.5, You shall live by them. Talking about the Torah, you shall live and not die. The laws of the Torah to bring us life. People who are always seeking stringencies because they're never confident about their accomplishments in their spiritual devotions, are generally very depressed. Over stringency in lifestyle, in devotion, and indeed in all areas of life, 
leads to depression. This is seen in the word kumrut, stringency, which is similar to komer, the matter which is opposed to spirituality. The homer, like the the um, the clay that the people had used, the people of Israel had used to make bricks, is called homer. Thus, these stringencies will have the opposite effect that are intended. For depression is an obstacle to achieving spiritual greatness. In fact, what we're looking for when we're wanting to become spiritual is joy. We want to rise up. But home air is this heaviness that draws us down. So with the liver we had we had anger that can be overcome through not eating over not eating the wrong things. And we look at that with the spiritual aspect of anger, and then with the gallbladder was bitterness, and with the spleen is depression or melancholy. Nowhere, now remember when we were reading that, um, oh it wasn't in here, we were reading the, the story of the master of prayer. In the master of prayer, he, the main thing that was talked about is how would people will go looking for wealth. And that becomes their main focus. Their main drive is to get money. They become very, very depressed over this. Nowhere does depression manifest so powerfully as in that pursuit of wealth. In one of his major lessons, Rabbi Nachman speaks about the connection with this um, pursuit of wealth and depression. He said, The face of sanctity is the shining face, representing life and joy. The face of unholiness is the darkened face, representing melancholy and idolatry. So this running after money is a form of idolatry. There are those who are overcome with the desire for wealth, but refuse to believe that God can provide for them with a minimum effort on their part. These people invest all their efforts in the chase after fortune, but having accumulated vast wealth, it gives them no pleasure. As it says in Genesis 3.17, With sadness you shall eat. They are afflicted by the forces of evil, of idolatry, and death. So, there is this melancholy because it's a lack of faith in Hashem. And so this lack of faith causes people to become depressed, it causes people to become angry, and it causes people to be bitter. And these things are all associated with the liver, the gallbladder, and the spleen. Rebbe Nachman devoted a greater part of the lesson cited above to point out um, something totally different about the spleen laughing. The spleen represents Lilith, the wife of the Satan, the angel of death. She is the mother of the mixed multitude, the levity of the fool. She teases people with wealth and then kills them. When Adam ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he was cursed. With sadness shall you eat. The serpent too was cursed. Dust shall you eat all the days of your life. Dust corresponds with money, as in Job 28.6. Its dust is gold. Rabbi Nachman explains, when someone becomes obsessed with wealth and spends all the days of his life seeking it, 
His curse is identical to that of the serpent. That is, the pursuit of wealth actually eats up the days of his life, and he spends his life seeking wealth. And such a person truly eats with sadness and melancholy. Melancholy is an abnormal state attributed to an ex excess of black bile. It is characterized by depression, grouchiness, and delusions. Perhaps man's greatest enemies. People who make the pursuit of wealth their sole enterprise in life often have grandiose aspirations. As they are never content with their possessions, they experience constant depression and sadness, and they tend to be irascible. Rabbi Nachman continues by explaining what the Zohar means by representing the sleep as Lilith, the mother of the mixed multitude, the levity of the fool who teases people with wealth and then kills them. The mixed multitude coming out of Egypt did not seek spirituality. Rather, they were impressed by the Jews' newfound greatness. They were still too steeped in materialism to appreciate the significance of that greatness. They left Egypt with the children of Israel, but elected to worship money, the golden calf, while in the desert. This was idolatry, the levity of the fool, for she teased them, offering them wealth as a replacement of, spiritual, of spirituality. This is what is meant by she teases the people with wealth and then kills them. The spleen, which corresponds to avarice and depression, represents Lilith. She teases the people throughout their lives, for they're always thinking that now they'll have profit, now they'll make money, but in fact, they eat dust all the days of their lives. Their harvest leaves them empty, characterized by melancholy. Interestingly, she is called Lilith because the Hebrew word for wailing is Yalala. Those who are plagued with the trait of avarice, avarice are constantly wailing and complaining about how hard they work and what they're lacking. A natural cons consequence of avarice is envy, coveting the possession of others. And the truth is, a man is sometimes given great wealth. Everyone else envies him, and they spend their lives pursuing wealth because of this envy. And this is all the work of the evil one. He works to make man, works hard to make one man rich, so that the others will waste their time envying him. Furthermore, levity is associated with the spleen. And that's the meaning of she is the levity of the fool. Avarice makes fools of people who hope to strike it rich. Instead of becoming wealthy, they spend their lives pursuing wealth. And they worship wealth. It becomes their god. And, they, and so it eats up all the days of their life. When used correctly, wealth is a powerful medium for attaining spirituality. Rabbi Nachman teaches that there are certain paths of Torah that are unattainable except through great wealth which is why Moshe and many of the prophets and Siddiquim who followed the Torah and followed after him were extremely wealthy. Wealth was, ex was necessary for them to achieve the great spiritual revelations they experienced and afterwards to communicate these revelations to others. Yet Rebbe Nachman also said that the desire to amass wealth and gain power 
is the major lust of our times. Even low-level administrators exult in their authority. All this is the work of Lilith, the spleen. She teases people with wealth, with power, and then, having developed within them an, obsess, an obsession with wealth and power, she kills them. An entire lifetime may be spent pursuing wealth and never finding it, and far from pleasurable exercise, the search may cause one's entire lifetime to be dominated by feelings of depression. So Rebbe Nachman teaches that joy generates the vitality of life, and that one who falls into depression can counter its negative effects by bringing himself, even forcing himself, to have joy. It is a great mitzvah. According to Rabbi Nachman, he says the greatest mitzvah is to always be happy. And we have to stimulate this within ourselves, to stir this up within ourselves to be happy, to avoid this melancholy, to avoid anger, to avoid bitterness, to always be happy. So, that is tonight's lesson. Is there any question right quick before the end of the class? Okay, great. I'm glad that everybody enjoyed the class. And I wish you a good night. And I'll see you in another hour in Rabbi Back's class. I know you guys are going to just love it. <laughs> so thank you very much and good night.